This is Herb Kressel, Editor of Radiology, and welcome to this month's podcast. Today I'm joined by Dr. Michael Quo, Associate Professor of Radiology at UCLA. And Michael, among many of his, of his other attributes, is the first person I ever heard use the term radiogenomics. And uh, here we are talking about radiogenomics with the person who I believe is the father of the field. And, and this article is entitled, Novel Radiogenomic Biomarker Defines Associations Between DCE MRI, Long Non-Encoding RNA, and metastasis in breast cancer. And for this study, uh, Dr. Quo collaborated uh, with the group at uh, Seoul National University College of Medicine. So welcome, uh, Dr. Quo. You look rather young to be the father of any field. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. So there's a lot of interest in radiogenomics, and I think few people really understand what it is. So. I thought that we might start, uh, since we're speaking to the father of the field, uh, how would you actually define radiogenomics? What is radiogenomics? And no, that's a, that's a, it's a great question. Um, so I, a simple answer, I, I think, would be radiogenomics is essentially um, based on the perception that there is, uh, that clinical imaging is able to capture a lot of information um, and that uh, that now with the, um, the advent of new genomic tools, uh, molecular tools, uh, that we now have greater ability to see uh, what these multi-scale relationships are uh, that, we, you know, that we see from imaging and how they relate um, to uh, this complex biology, just beyond you know, tissue histopathology, down to many of the genomic drivers that, uh, that, that, that uh, result in these uh, disease phenotypes. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to uh, build these relational uh, maps by extracting more data from the images uh, because we rich real uh, we believe that they're very rich uh, repositories of information. So extracting information from the images in an intelligent manner uh, and then finding how they are related uh, in a coherent fashion across multiple scales of a phenotype. So how is a clinical outcome like a response to a drug or a prognosis related to an imaging phenotype that we see on you know, a CAT scan or an MRI, how does that relate to tissue histopathology, how does that relate to what's being, uh, what's going on uh, within the cells at the transcriptional level or the sequencing level, uh, things like that, so that you have this kind of integrated um, uh, uh, perspective uh, of the disease across multiple Very scales. Good. Now I understand that. Now, if we go back to the title, which for many people will be kind of a, a hard read, what is long non-encoding RNA. So, uh, so link RNAs. That's that's the short for it. Uh, basically, is a is a is a, is a relatively recently dis, um, recognized class of RNA. So, um, you know, with the genome, it, it gets um, transcribed transcribed to RNA, and we've usually traditionally focused on mRNA because messenger RNA uh, gets translated into protein, and everyone always thinks that protein is really the workhorse of the cell, but you know, the coding RNA or the mRNA only accounts for a relatively small fraction of the entire genome. Uh, there's a very large fraction that is non-coding, which means it doesn't code for uh, mRNA or protein. Uh, and so there was, uh, you know, there was this ongoing debate about what it did, what was this, you know, genomic dark matter, because it is pervasively, tra you know, transcribed. Uh, and uh, it turns out, you know, over the last 10, you know, 5, 10 years that we're having an increasing understanding of these 
non-coding RNAs, and they're they're called long because they're it's just in the side, you know, based on their size. But they have very uh, critical roles um, in maintaining cellular homeostasis and um, you know uh, regulation. So they're very critical regulators. How do they do that if they're not encoded? Well, so they are they're transcribed, um, but they don't they don't get translated into proteins. So they do a variety of functions. Uh, so you know, one classic function is that they act as molecular scaffolds. So they bring disparate parts of the genome uh, into very close proximity, so that um, you know proteins can then interact and activate a number of or activate or inactivate tumor suppressor genes uh, that seem very far apart in the genome uh, and can do that in one sweep, for example. Now we're going through basic definitions. One of the, I guess, types of these long non-encoding RNA is termed hot air. What, what is that other than sort of hot air? Sure. So hot air uh, stands, it, it's, it's, a, it's just a short name for a particular uh, link RNA, um, and uh, it stands for homeobox. It just has a long name. It's uh, homeobox transcripts. Um, uh, it's yeah. not a quiz. That's not the quiz. But what does it actually do? <laughs> sure. So, so hot air is a very interesting uh, link RNA. Um, it was discovered maybe I don't know ten years ago. But uh, uh, Howard Chang's group up at Stanford really did some fundamental uh, uh, work or some work in, uh, in in evaluating it, and they realized that this this uh, link RNA, which is associated with this this group of um, genes called the Hox cluster, which are very important in um, and, and body patterning and development uh, in all species, and um, they found out that this uh, in that cluster was hot air, and that it had a very important role. Um, and they looked, at it, they looked at it in the context of breast cancer. Uh, in um, it had a very important role that when it became dysregulated, it really drew uh, or drove um, cancer, uh, you know, cell invasion and metastasis. And they showed that okay. it was very prognostic for outcomes in uh, time of metastasis and and time to death, and then they showed uh, some different mechanistic aspects. So it's, it's a very um, uh, increasingly known and well-recognized uh, key hot air, uh, a key link RNA that's, that's dysregulated in, in, uh, in cancers. So basically, in this, in this manuscript, you and your colleagues at Seoul National University tried to look at the relationship between some of these uh, long, non-encoding RNAs findings on dynamic contrast-enhanced MRI and metastases in breast cancer. And so could you tell us a little bit more about what you did to kind of explore this relationship? Sure. So we wanted to understand the relationship between system-level phenotypes captured by MRI, clinical outcomes such as uh, time to metastasis, and this new class of, of um, uh, RNAs, the, the link RNAs. Uh, so what we did is we designed a study in which we uh, looked at a training set of about 19 patients. Uh, we, um, in partnership with our, uh, with our uh, Seoul National, we developed this uh, quantitative uh, computer vision uh, image feature program that analyzed the, uh, each patient's um, DCE MRI. Uh, we extracted a library of features, uh, quantitative features. And then uh, we, saw, we wanted to see if any of these were related to the outcome of uh, time to metastasis. And then once we did, then we, we did uh, next-generation sequencing on, on these uh, using RNA sequencing uh, to get a, a very large uh, and high, uh, highly quantitative readout of all the RNAs that were, that were, um, that were available. And then we focused on the long-coding aspects uh, of that population. So we had about 190,000 
RNAs that were measured uh, quantitatively, and of those, about 14,500 were long coding, uh, long uh, non coding RNAs. And then from that, we, I, we focused on about 4,500 of those. And then we wanted to see what the relationship was between this image phenotype that we identified called the enhancing room fraction, uh, its relationship to metastasis free survival, and to expression of these uh, new class of critical uh, regulators. And so we found that there was a relationship. Um, and then we went into a second, uh, we wanted, because we had a small data set, we wanted to then um, go in, into an, in, a completely independent data set and validate the, each of these findings in a larger data set. Okay, so now the, uh, you know, thinking about this in the context of other types of studies that we see, so we see a study with sort of 19 patients with breast cancer. You know, the reviewers are very likely to sort of say, wait a minute, you know, how can you extrapolate from this small set? And here you're kind of looking at hundreds of thousands of genes and then focusing on 4,500. It seems like it's a giant fishing expedition. So how do you actually know when you have an adequate number of subjects to get a meaningful analysis of this sort? Sure. I mean, uh, that's always right. It's, it's kind of the inverted problem, um, right? Rather than having a lot of samples focused on a number, small number of variables, we have many variables and then a small number, smaller number of samples. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, it is a difficult question. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's, it's one that we actually described uh, in our approach in, in, um, in a commentary in radiology, uh, decoding molecular phenotypes. And, and I think that we kind of go through... Um, what we think are the key issues for addressing these types of issues in that in that that, that article, um, and so there are, you know, there's a number of ways to try and come about this. Um, you know, uh, we are looking at a lot of a large number of genes, but there are a number of there's a number of statistical tools, statistical tools and methods of validation to to uh, increase your confidence that uh, what you're seeing is real and meaningful and has a high likely, likelihood of, of being there, um, and, and that's. You know, so we try and incorporate as, as many of these statistical tests up front to accommodate that, uh, given the small sample sizes. But then that's why we also then go, uh, we incorporate different levels of validation um, and to, to really make sure that, that uh, those findings uh, that we see are, are true. And so that's why we went to uh, a completely independent you know, data set and then validated each of the findings uh, in, you know, independently. So, so I think that those are really necessary steps. Um, right. Now, one of the analyses you used was called negative binomial distribution differential expression analysis. That's hard enough to read. What what is it? I mean, you know, it's 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 a statistical tool. I mean, I don't it's uh, I don't want to go to. Don't a, say I don't ask me. It's, you know, it's a it's a statistical <laughs> tool that um, is basically it, it, it allows you to analyze um, RNA sequencing data uh, after you've aligned it um, and to. Uh, Basically, in a, um, a statistically rigorous way, you know, to to minimize, um, uh, you know, false positives, uh, to find uh, those uh, elements that are highly associated with a particular variable that you're that is of interest. Um, that's kind of this. this. Now, uh, can you summarize here the results? I found them very provocative. You looked at, or you identified this marker of the enhancing rim. Yeah, so so I think that what we found was 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 interesting. I mean, uh, we basically found that there was a uh, a quantitative uh, you know uh, objective imaging feature that we can see on you know everyday uh, DCE MRI and breast cancer patients that was associated with early time of metastasis, uh, and that 
not only that, but that it was associated with um, a handful of, of these link RNAs. Um, and, you know, three of them were unknown, previously uncharacterized, uh, and then five were known. And then from that, you know, this, this link RNA that you mentioned, hot air, was actually associated with it. And so that was very encouraging because we know that hot air has been shown in other studies, just looking at tissue, to be a strong, uh, you know, prognosticator, uh, have a strong association with biology for metastasis and breast cancer. And then to, to see that biological, you know, uh, concordance, seeing, you know, that we saw an association with our imaging phenotype at the systems level, you know, was, was very encouraging um, and, and gave us a sense of, of, of validation that, uh, that, these, that we're looking at, a, you know, a similar um, pathway, you know, kind of a, some kind of relationship between what is going on at the cellular level is related to what we're seeing at the imaging level, which is what we're also being manifested at the, at the clinical level. So, so that was um, very, uh, you know, very welcome to see. Um, so, so I think that was the, really the main thing is that you can, there are these, these new class, powerful new class of, of link RNAs <clears throat> and that they manifest in certain ways um, in, at the systems level uh, captured by imaging. Well, what about those three uncharacterized uh, RNAs? I mean, conceivably, they're even more important in this cancer than uh, hot air. How would you actually follow up on this? What well, would be the next steps that you might do? You're absolutely right. I mean, I think that's another power of, of radiogenomic approaches, right, is that you can actually take, a, you know, a, a human population, you know, that, where disease is actually occurring, and you can find these associations and, and um and so, in a real, you know, context, you can identify associations um, and potentially, you know, find um, new avenues to explore new biology that that you would not have uh, have easily have uh, recognized if you were coming from a cell-based approach. Up. So, yes, absolutely. So there, there were these three um, unnamed link RNAs, and I think that at this point, I mean, I think that uh, you know we could begin to explore the function of these these these. Um, these link RNAs, you know, looking at cell-based, you know, doing cell-based experiments, looking at other, you know, tissue samples to see what their role is uh, um, in, in this disease, uh, if they have any. It, it'll be an interesting approach. Interesting. And uh, sort of going back to sort of more general uh, uh, sort of questions about radiogenomics and using this study as an example. So what do you think, uh, now that you have this data in these 19 uh, subjects and you've sort of confirmed it in the 42, uh, what are the next steps? Is this something that's ready for prime time? Do you need to test it in half a million people? Uh, how do you turn something like this into uh, information that someone's going to use or incorporate in some sort of treatment paradigm? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, I think that's a more of a, to some level, it's a social question. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, I think that when you have um, a finding uh, and it's published, um, you know, how do you, how does it get accepted? I mean, if you find something on CT that's associated with, um, you know, particular disease, how does it become accepted? I mean, I think it just, um, the, the stronger the level of evidence, obviously, is, is one thing. I mean, I think that we feel pretty confident, I mean, that, that we did a training set and then we validated independently, so we believe that those connections are there. Um, but ultimately, um, I think that, uh, you know, more studies will be needed to confirm. Um, but I think that it's, it, it is, um, you know, I think that there's some, some value there. I mean, I think that, you know, the onco you know, our oncologist colleagues, I mean, I think that they, you know, are, can begin to appreciate that, you know, not only are we just seeing 
you know, something like, oh, here's something on the breast MRI, and maybe it's a breast cancer, maybe it's not, you know, but hey, there's, you know, now we're able to see things that may have, you know, prognostic relevance and that they're tied to, you know, uh, deeper, you know, deeper domains of biology that we previously haven't been associated to and, and that they're aware of. And so they're thinking, oh, well, you know, I know I've read about hot air and hot air has been really interesting. Oh, well, it's now looked, it's potentially a way to identify those patients that have hot air uh, overexpressed in, the, in their samples just from that image. Uh, so I think it starts to, to bring the communities closer around the theme, you know, of, of the actual science. So um, do you think, for example, that uh, some organized, you know, comprehensive cancer center group should do a trial based on this, or do you need, I mean, we, we are, is this kind of a preliminary observation in your mind that now needs to be seriously validated, or do you think this is hard enough that it's time to look at the clinical implications and test those? You know, I, I, I think yes to both. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, we would love to, um, to expand on this uh, and, and, and move it more mainstream. Um, uh, absolutely. You know, I mean, I think that, you know, you need, radiogenomics sits at an interesting intersection, right? I mean, we're, we're kind of sitting between, you know, imaging and computer vision and uh, genomics and bioinformatics and cell biology, um, some aspects of drug discovery. So, uh, you know, you just you get pulled in different ways. I mean, you can't be an expert in everything, but you, you know, you're, you're um, you, you know well what you know, which is at that center of that, that, uh, that intersection. And so, you know, it's, I think it's just a question of really focus and where you want to go with it. Um, for this, I think that, yeah, I mean, I think it's a very interesting area. I mean, it's, you know, bringing these components together, this, the, the association with these linked RNAs, I think is, is very uh, interesting to us and I think potentially compelling. So, yeah, we would um, be very interested in, in partnering with other groups um, at both ends, you know, more cell biology people who are doing some of the fundamental work and then also uh, on the, um, you know, the oncology clinical sides to, to start to see how we can deploy this at a larger scale. Um, absolutely. Well, obviously, you know, since I'm speaking to the father of the field, uh, from my point of view as a journal editor, you're about to have a lot of children. <laughs> so you may want to kind of think about which children are actually yours. <laughs> so on that note, uh, without getting too much more into the weeds, I want to thank you uh, for participating in the podcast. I, I know that people are very, very interested in this work, and we certainly look forward to your future efforts. Thank you. As, as always, it's a pleasure speaking with you. 